the vital way. With ancient wisdom meets the cutting edge to optimize your vitality and performance. There are no right ways, just better ways. Hello and welcome to another Vital Way podcast. I'm your host, Cloud Christopher. As usual, Zane is traveling. He's not actually driving this time, but maybe in the future. So I've titled this podcast uh, Zane's Adventures because Zane's going to talk a little bit about the things he's been doing out in the, out in Maine and his survival school and some cool stuff he's been doing out there. So why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little okay. about the school to start. Okay, I'm <clears throat> I'm currently attending the Root School in Vermont, Corinth, Vermont, to be exact. It's pretty much uh, central Vermont, the backwoods, like so backwoods. Um, it's a really beautiful place, and uh, I'm attending a program there that covers, I believe, it's nine months. You go once a month and uh, take a class. Uh, and the classes vary from building primitive tools like stone axes, kelts, uh, building bows, uh, learning how to hunt animals, um, wild foraging, all that stuff. So basically, the program I'm doing is called the Origins Program. It's all about, it's not about survival. They actually have a eight-month or nine-month program that is geared entirely towards learning how to survive if you are in a shitty situation in the woods or wherever you're at. Um, And that one's a little more intense. The one I'm doing is more about learning how to actually uh, live off of the land in a sustainable way. So I don't know that many schools, most schools I know are all about survival skills, and while those are awesome to know, it's, I think, really important to know how to actually live off the land, because those skills don't apply for many months, necessarily. So, how long, when did you leave again, (laughs) or when did the classes start? Okay, the first class was the beginning, first weekend in February, which is awesome, because it was also right when... uh, Winter really hit the northeast, so I got to experience my first winter in what a lot of the people around there thought was not a fun winter at all. So nice and really just for <laughs> most of you out there that don't know, we grew up in Santa Cruz, California, and Zane, you've never really left California, so now this is that was your first winter, huh? That was my first winter, and all the people I would tell that to would be like, well, you picked a hell of a winter to come out of here. I'm like, yeah. Didn't realize that was going to be so harsh, but yeah, it was really eye-opening. I'm really glad I did that. I recommend everyone. Yeah. uh, Winners are awesome. I'm not a winner person. (laughs) Anyway. um, Correct. So you started in February. It is now June, almost the end of June, and like you said, you're coming back to California. Um, 
and then you're going to go back out there to finish the last few classes. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be fall, correct? Yeah, I'm going to have to skip one. Um, some stuff came up, so I'm going home and spending more time at home to uh, handle some things. But I am still intend to finish the class, and so the class ends with a, um, I believe it's ten days primitive survival trip where we're only allowed to use uh, the primitive tools we have created. Um, yeah, and I thought Zane sent me the itinerary. This was, I thought this was really cool, just like in a lot of schools, you know, they build upon what they teach you each week. And then, like, at this school and, like, we Zane and I have both done in the military at the end, they have a large excursion where you are supposed to utilize everything you learn. But I really like the idea of this primitive one where you can only use stuff you built with your hands uh, to, you know, make it for 10 days. I thought that was really cool, and I'm, that'll be yeah. awesome to hear about it when you finish it. <laughs> Should be fun. They already have a couple big shelters because they always do a project with the students from the origin trip, and the last class was, my class, current class is only five people. Um, but the last class is like 14 people, I think. So they built a huge shelter because they had to. And I've already slept in it. It's, it's awesome. It's going to be awesome. So why don't you tell us about um, some of the things that you've built so far? Okay. The second class <clears throat> was a long one. It was eight days. And that's because... Um, it was in the middle of winter, so we spent all our time in the workshop, and it gave us a chance to build a bow, a traditional bow. Um, we build it out of one piece of wood, so that's a self-bow. It just means you build it out of one piece of wood instead of gluing two pieces together, which is also something you can do. And that was a four-day workshop where we – it was a little uh, – saw action just to speed things up, but otherwise you learn every single skill, like everything you need to build a bow, and not coming from a woodworking background, like a lot of the other students were, because they are native Vermonters, they're a little more experienced with working with their hands than I was. Um, <clears throat> it took me a little longer than the others to build a bow. But I, my teacher was also telling me that I was building one of the harder ones because you actually have to go slow with the grain of the wood. So you end up with a, you can end up with a bow that is twisty, turvy, and it works perfectly fine. It's really beautiful to look at. So that was, that was rough. That was like a hard class, and you're working like 12 hours a day on this bow, just rasping away and stuff. So um, after that, but everyone's guaranteed a bow. Even if you break it midway through the thing, they catch you up with another bow stave, and you keep working on one. Um, so everyone ends up with, with a really nice bow that's worth a lot of money. The class is only 250 bucks. If anyone's in the area, I highly recommend that you look into creating your uh, first bow. It's actually starting to blow up in, in these schools all over. I'm and don't really they offer... Don't, yeah. Doesn't Ruth also offer just that class? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So or there is was, it part of the, I mean, separately than your program? There was um, 16 people in that class. And like I said before, oh. I only have five people in my program. So uh, a lot of the classes that I do actually match up and other people come. But it's kind of like a group package that you pay for. really cheap. So after the first right. class, we, we mm-hmm. went right into flint napping which is banging rocks Flint. together to make <laughs> to make sharp points, arrowheads and whatever. But you can really make so many different tools with rocks. Um, and, I mean, that's what our ancestors used to use for hundreds of thousands of years was just rocks. So it's pretty, uh, pretty primal when you start doing that stuff. That was really fun. It takes a lot of practice. I'm not going to admit to being any re- remotely anywhere good to the, at that. Um, it takes a lot of time to get good at that. 10,000 um, hours, right? <laughs> not even that. More like a lifetime. The, <laughs> they, have, um, they have flint snap blades that and arrowheads that can't actually be replicated by anyone alive because they don't know how they did it because it's the skills they used to do it are so gnarly. So it, it kind of demolishes the idea that our ancient ancestors were actually just banging rocks together and weren't that Primitive. Could, yeah. Primitive. They, <laughs> they're not prim, Yeah, they're not primitive. Like the stuff they did was like brain surgery level. If you uh, get into the stuff, you start to see that like the technique, all the little things they do are crazy intricate. Of course, they had a lot of time for that, too. But <laughs> so, yeah, right after that, we went into arrow making. And this was all a eight-day span. And so for two days, we spent making, learning how to make arrows, which is actually not that hard and super awesome, out of high glue and um, deer tendon and, yeah, stuff like that. It's, and a uh, bone arrowhead, really interesting. Um, after that class, we just one of the big things <clears throat> for long-term living that people don't really think about is uh, having stuff like storage containers. So something you don't really need to worry that much about when you're in a survival situation is a storage container. But if you're living out in the wild, you need places to store your food. You will be making baskets and other waterproof containers and stuff like that. So the whole next class, was a lot of it was just on storage materials or transportation materials, like a, a buckskin rucksack we made. Is super easy to do and looks amazing. Um, and then after that, we went on to make a stone axe, which is a bitch. <laughs> we spent four days grinding a stone and hitting a stone with another stone, and that sucked a lot. Normally, you would be doing this over, like, a six-month period. Um, but you needed an axe now. 
Yeah, we had to do it that fast. So my next act will definitely, definitely not be that gnarly. I won't hate it with a passion. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is it usable? Yeah, of course it's usable. It's just <clears throat> that that whole process. I mean, there's certain things um, you're gonna take away from this that you're gonna continue and keep working on and refining and stuff. And then there's other things that you're gonna be like, oh. I'm not really into that, so I probably won't make another one of those. But you do get a sampling, which is is one of the big draws for me. It was just getting, like, seeing how to do these skills and doing them at least one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But every time you grab the sax, it makes you... <laughs> you feel like a badass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's super cool. I mean, this stuff you're building by hand. So yeah. once you put well, all gonna, this... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you um, about, you know, actually building this stuff with hand tools you can use for functions. I know I watched uh, a video you sent me about the axes and the stuff they were doing with the axes to be totally functional. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I wanted to ask about building with your hands about you know, what you thought, because in our society, everything's made for us pretty much. Um, like you said, we didn't really grow up out where we're working with our hands that much, you know, so. Yeah, I don't think a lot of city people will um, kind of understand that, and I think that's kind of why some of these uh, movements towards older skills are starting up, because People want to be, like, doing something with their hands. And uh, so just working with your hands and putting all that time into that object, you, like, that object becomes so precious to you because you spent all that time doing that. And uh, for many of the natives, like, their bows were no one else could touch a person's bow. Like, if somebody did, that would be, like, that would be really shameful for that person because these things are so sacred to them because it took so long to do it sometimes and some of the work would be so intricate. So just working with your hands and seeing how hard it is to do, um, it's just the time you put in, you really get that back. And you use you use the object and you cherish it because of that. It's not like some throwaway piece of Chinese made tool or something like that. You're like you'll take care of that for as long as possible and pass it to your grandson or something. Right. And the cool thing with what you're building, it's all nature made. Oh yeah, I was gonna touch on that. Yeah. Animal it's, parts and rocks. It's, so it's, so nice to work with natural material. Like everyone in right. the classes would constantly bring it up every time we did it. It's just like I can't believe we're working with bone and sand and like you feel it feels really good. I don't I'm I think I know why, but uh it just comes out of that work. It's just like hard work. It feels really good and it's natural materials. Is it, you think it's anything like, I mean, like going barefoot into a forest that helps you connect? I, yeah, I think so. There just has to be something 
about using natural materials. I think it's like a ancestral heritage in your DNA or something. You just are like, oh, right. shoot, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I remember doing this from before. Like, this is how things <laughs> were for hundreds just of... felt right? Yeah. You could say? It felt exactly right. It does not feel like you're working on a laptop. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but you're still sitting, huh? So, was there anything after the Stone Axe that you built? Let's see. Uh, no. So, the Stone Axe, uh, we made a kelp, which is basically um, a stone that you turn into a really decent, sharp object that you fit. You kind of hollow out this um, the handle, and you fit it in there, and it gets knocked back in, and it doesn't move at all. But the cool thing about that is you can also take the kelp out and use it as a hand axe at the same time. So it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife in the fact that you can pull it out of that, and it's a little versatile that way. Um, yeah. But they're really good. So the thing with that is, like, obviously not you wouldn't be using that on a dead tree or anything because the wood's too hard for even that stone. And you're using really hard basalt stones, um, some of the heaviest stones. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you actually have to do all your cutting on green wood, and then you got to let that stuff dry. But if you're just constructing shelters and stuff, you would cut it down and tie it up. Right. Like, you know, we never really think about that. But, yeah, you don't want to chip your kelp because once you do that, that could be a probably could break really fast after that. So out of the things you've built so far, I mean, what is your favorite one? Mm. Well, not that kelp. <laughs> Uh, I would say the bow, just because we also started shooting after the bow making class. We started archery, and I had never shot a bow before. The, well, okay, I hadn't shot a bow, but it's like I never really practiced it. And <clears throat> that was probably the most amazing thing was building your own bow and then shooting it after that and seeing it work and you hitting targets with it, like, it still blows my mind that I did that. <laughs> with with the arrows you made? Uh, no, I haven't done that. So the arrow, the primitive arrows we made, they are very delicate, and if you are not good at hitting your target, like, they're not good to use for target practice, because if you suck at shooting and the thing hits the ground, there's a really good chance you're going to screw it up. I mean, I'm screwing up metal arrows, so... (laughs) (laughs) So they either kill or they destroy themselves. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Basically, my teacher at the school, uh, Brad Salon, he only really uses them when he goes hunting, when he's doing um, a primitive hunt. That's when he uses his stone arrow. Yeah, his stone arrow. So which one do you think was the hardest? Uh, definitely the stone axe. Oh, my gosh. I actually, 
would like to make another one um, pretty soon, but take my time with it and not hate myself. Another thing I learned from my teacher was awesome is a lot of these skills you're sitting there working on them for a while. Um, and this is where kind of the modern and the old combine really well is <clears throat> listening to audiobooks while you're working on these skills is a really good idea. That's what he does. Um, me and a couple other guys got into listening to audiobooks, and it, it works out really well because you're learning or entertained at least while you're also practicing your skills. Mm -hmm. Right. And is that part of our constant need to multitask? <laughs> Maybe. I mean... <clears throat> it can get a little boring when you're doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So just, uh, but if you're with a bunch but, of people, then it's fun. Yeah. You guys just joke around and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a good time doing those with friends. So which one of these things taught you the most? Well, I haven't even talked about the last class I did. That was hunting, gathering, tracking, and awareness. Um, that was the better class. Before I get into that, though, uh, just since we were talking about the tools, I, I did want to say that doing the bow, I really began to appreciate, well, yeah, doing the bow, I really began to appreciate just uh, hard work with your hands. Like, I'm so not used to it. And uh, we got into weaving, too. and Weaving by hand isn't easy for most guys. So the thing that uh, weaving taught me was that uh, technology is so much easier to appreciate when you have started from the bottom of our tool usage. Like, we, I can't, weaving by hand is so, it's cool. It just takes forever. So this is where you begin to be like, oh, well, the, the loom sets stuff up so fast. And it would make it so easy because you can double weave at the same time. You don't have to just weave one side one way and then weave the other side the other way. You can do both at the same time, and it just speeds things up. And you begin to appreciate that. And it can just – there's so many – of these skills just bleed into the appreciation of technology. Right, Which I was going to say that this primitive school has made you appreciate, you know, modern stuff more, it sounds yeah. like. Well, yeah, and <clears throat> even the laptop, like a lot of people forget is that the laptop comes from um, stone tools. It's origin. I mean, it came out of that. It had to start with uh stone tools and wood and all that stuff. And without any of that stuff, we wouldn't have the laptop. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, I think a lot of people kind of just think they just magically appear in the stores. Yeah, and well, just, when you grow up with them your whole life, maybe you do. Yeah, yeah. That. There's just so much knowledge that came out of it in so many years. It's, it's weird to think about. It's good to think about because that makes you appreciate it. Yeah. This this hunting and gathering class, 
was really cool. I kind of got into this stuff because health-wise, getting into collecting wild foods is one thing, but, like, going out and actually collecting wild meats, that's totally, totally different. And that has always been an eventual goal for me. Um, And so it's really cool now that after last weekend, I got to experience it to a degree, and now I can start practicing and really get to the point where I can do that for myself, which is amazing. Like, I think a lot of, I know a lot of guys would be down to just be able to hunt their own meat, and I'm not talking about with a rifle or anything like that. I'm talking bow and arrow or a spear or a knife, right? <laughs> The ultimate goal. Fight off a bear with a knife. Earn your manhood. So, was there anything else? Any other classes? Or that was it? Um, that's it so far. I had a couple things we did in the hunting class. Just so we stopped. We practiced stalking. Which I had never done. And... Is really cool because it really gets you going into probably areas of nature you wouldn't normally tread, like super thick areas or even impassable areas where you have to use animal puzzles. Uh, like when you're stalking stuff, it doesn't matter. You go through anything, and that's really cool. It also slows you down so much that you see so much, so much stuff, so much like animals, birds, everything. When humans are very just like, modern humans just tramp through the woods and there's this whole zone of disturbance that we put out there. And we can make it smaller, but most moderns are not aware of it. And it alerts the birds and like while you're walking down, it'll alert the birds, and the birds just pass that down the forest. So one of the reasons you hardly see any animals when you're walking through the woods or hiking is because the birds are telling everything that something is coming, besides the fact that you're probably talking really loud and just, like, just <laughs> on your cell phone. And stuff. Yeah. On but, yeah, have you – I remember I mm, – when I was in school, there was that book, uh, like, Learn the Language of the Bird, and you will know yeah. what's going what, on in the forest. Is it? I mean, there's a really good one out there called What the Robin Knows. I haven't read it yet, but so many people have, like, been like, that's the one. And uh, I don't know. I've started listening to bird calls, just listening to them, trying to get an awareness of what's going on. But they definitely do uh, freak out when you are walking towards them. Like different yeah. calls. You can totally distinguish different styles of calls. And once you can learn those different styles, you can start to read the forest. Because not only you does it, uh, predators do it. And they will alert the forest to predators moving under it. So if you can hear that, you can know where something is to hunt. Perhaps if you're in a hundred credits, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I always want to read that. I think we had one of the 
not the author, but a friend of the author, and she taught us about that kind of stuff. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That was way back when I, I told you about that book. <laughs> yeah, that's one aspect that's really cool, um, just moving silently through the woods. Like, not even – it's you. Pro, a lot of people probably aren't into getting on the game of hunting – but just learning how to move silently through the woods the, and also be a, more aware of your surroundings by, like, constantly looking behind you into the trees and stuff like that, um, you really see so much more wildlife because you're kind of acting like an animal would act instead of acting like some some animal that they don't they don't recognize because we act so strange to them. Modern. Yeah. I like that be, term you've been using. Be like water, my friend. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, when you get back, hopefully we can go out and uh, do some more. Because you and I used to do, I mean, maybe not correctly, but we used to kind of do some of this stuff just on our yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah, really. Stuff. Uh, it's so oh, it's so fun too. Plus, it gets here's an awesome thing. If you're stalking through the woods for a couple hours, you are sweating so much. You are like your core is super tight. You can get in really good shape because you're moving so slow, and right. slow movements really work the muscles. So, yeah, I plan on doing at least every week trying to do a two week or something. I would like to do more, but um, we'll just see how obsessed with going outside and stocking. And the cool thing is you can do it anywhere. So I also plan on stocking my friends. Um, and if you can stock up on animals, like your pets and stuff, even that just means you're getting really good at it. Practice on your pets. <laughs> right? Or your kids. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm hoping maybe we can teach your niece, my daughter, to you know, yeah. calm down and not be so loud. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and that's that's also true. All these, like, skills, kids are so into this stuff. So if you are just like, hey, be quiet, we're going to, like, try and sneak up on this person or something, kids are so into it, like instantly. They're like, oh, okay. And they, <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, what else? <clears throat> oh, one of the, so I'd always wanted to do this. It's an awareness practice. And we actually got to do it uh, that weekend. And this practice is basically walking blindfolded through the woods which a lot of people might be a little nervous about. I was a little nervous about it myself. I mean, you could technically hurt yourself. Um, so the practice is to cut off your, you're basically cutting off your sight, so you have to rely on your other senses, and you just have to barge it. There's a drum that's set up somewhere, and they're hitting it, and all the people that are doing the activity are set up in a circle around it, uh, a ways off, a pretty good ways off, actually, and they basically have have to tra- traverse the terrain to get to the drum. Mm. And it, 
I mean, I've never done anything like that. And it had parts where I was a little freaky, like when I had to cross a stream. I knew there was definitely some ledges around the stream that I could have easily fallen off of, and or I could have stepped into a really deep pool. Um, like the guy that walked me out told me he did his first time. The only time he fell was when he walked into his stream. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the whole limit is just to get you to slow down and, like, open your senses. And it, it can, it's kind of like a rite of passage. It feels like one. Because after that, you're like, okay. And then the, another cool thing about it is that you can't see where you're going, so you barge through some gnarly stuff. And my teacher was saying, if we tracked your trail through the woods, you would be amazed at the stuff you barge through. And so that kind of gives you uh, a sense that you can go anywhere, really, in nature. Like, there's no limits. Just because it's really thick right there, you can get through it just like an animal. And there's a couple other things. If you're scared of the dark, it really helps with that. Uh, not saying I was, but a lot of people feel a lot better about darkness. Um, especially being lost in the woods at night, because if you can do barge through it blindfolded, you know later if that you actually get lost in the forest at night, can't see anything, you're fine. <laughs> There's really nothing to worry about. Right. And animals will get out of your way, too. Surprise, surprise. Because <laughs> you're being so loud and you're barging. Yeah. That was probably one of the more exciting thing that we did and I'm so glad that we did that because I really think everyone should do that you get a little better appreciation and an opening of your awareness so let's go back to you know January before you left <laughs> okay yeah venture and you know kind of tell me about what you expected your expectations were at that time for the school? Like, Well, um, I did have some grandiose thoughts, of course. Um, I tried to be realistic. I knew I wasn't going to come out of it like um, some kind of crazy Randall uh, that can live off the land and um, some crazy Indian brave or something that can like just sneak up on anyone ninja-like and whatever, I knew that, but I did think that I'd be a little more confident in these skills, um, and it would be possible for me to just go out, maybe go hiking on trails and not bring that much stuff and be comfortable, but, I mean, I can do that, but it would be a supper fest even now. It'd be, it'd be a lot better, but it'd, be, it'd still be a supper fest. <laughs> So, yeah, in, in the middle of it now, where do you... Think? Yeah, yeah, in the middle, well, the biggest thing is, like, and I've had a lot of friends be like, oh, so you're going to, like, go live in the wild after this once I was done with the program stuff, and that's, no, I'm not going to live in the wild. Uh, I, these skills take a long time to learn, what people don't really think about is that 
native will be learning these skills uh, since the time they're born. And so even my teacher admits that maybe his best skills are at the level of a 13 or 14-year-old in a traditional society. And he's been doing these skills since he was a teenager. And he's, like, in his upper 30s now. So (laughs) it's just uh, – we missed out when we were kids, so it's going to be a little harder. The upside to that is that because I'm learning these skills now, even this late in my life, and, yeah, I might never be super good at any of them. Hopefully I'll be good at one of them at least. we can teach them to our children. And so they will have a far earlier start at that. So they will be way better than us when they reach our level. And then um, they can teach their their children. And that's kind of the thing is regaining our, our independence in so many words, not having to rely on a system. Even if you do rely on the are using the system, not having to rely on the system in case something happens. Like you have a way out. You have like a safety net, really. I learned that, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a badass. <laughs> That's pretty much what I learned. I'm not a badass. Well, yeah, and that you kind of talked about it, but like plans for the future, like, you said continuing yeah. practicing all this stuff. Uh, well, are you going to build new things on your own, take more classes? I mean, where are you going to go with all this stuff? Well, <clears throat> so I'm going to pick a few of them and try and really target. I can't do it all at once because it's just so many different things. So I want to focus on a couple skills and try and get those before going back and trying other skills. I would really like to make another bow. I was planning to maybe make my next bow for uh, your daughter, which would be a little easier because it's a kid's bow. So I'm kind of scaling it. (laughs) It'd be easier to make (laughs) because it's a kid's bow. And then the main thing I want is, uh, like I said before, is to get into actual hunting, that way I can be eating real healthy wild foods and providing that to friends and family also. Um, as like, I would say that's almost one of the ultimate levels of health that you can achieve is just providing those wild foods. And, yeah, and then providing oh. it for others. Yeah, well, just because eating venison that you catch is going to be so much healthier than any bird, even grass-fed bird. It's going to be so much healthier than that. So it's just like the ultimate level I see for a healthy living style. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, during these long days of building, did Uh any herbs help you out mentally or (laughs) energy? or Uh, What were you thinking out of school? Well, now I'm on a lot of stuff, but before I was taking a lot of shiloh just because I knew it would help me get through those long days. I was drinking a lot of coffee. Um, I don't drink coffee now, <laughs> trying to get off that stuff. 
But, yeah, everyone is drinking a lot of coffee because they are long days, and you are working. So even if you're sitting down, you're working the whole time. You're, like, working muscle groups. Um, but so Pine Pollen, Shilajit, I was taking Spartan for a while because I knew my stress levels were higher, kind of frustrating. Like, so we ran still, out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then now, person. like you said, you're you're on uh, some newer stuff. We're all mm. testing uh, new herbs, new products. Zane's uh, lucky enough to test the adrenal formula. Oh, yeah. That one, that's a good one. I'm pretty sure that's helping me a lot. And oh, it, it tastes awesome, as they always do. But that, oh, yeah. It was working. <laughs> I remember that. I had that. It was it worked, it worked great, but it's a spicy one. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, are you taking the, the – we're I'm all into sea uh, buckthorn now. I'm taking and that. I'm, I'm not, like, mega-dosing like you are. That's gnarled. Dude, you got to try at three tablespoons a day of seabuck and see what happens. It's amazing. Like I told you, I did not need coffee that day. I did five. (laughs) (laughs) Seabuck's really important. So um, for those of you that don't know, uh, we're talking about seabuck thorn day. Um, Super nutritious. Uh, we really want to carry it super sour. That'd be an interesting flavor addition. Maybe yeah, tone down I mean, some of the gnarlier, bitter taste. But I love sour, so I love the taste of this. It's kind of like the sour candy. It like honestly kind of hurts your jaw sometimes. It's so sour. Um, <laughs> my wife, I think this morning or yesterday, she took a spoonful and it like her whole face kind of felt it. She said, um, but Seabuck is it's a nutrient bomb, just like pine pollen, with omega three, six, seven, and nine, and it helps a lot with recovery. Yeah, it's a big one. I can't wait to experiment more with that. Yeah, and we're looking into what powder and the oil, and hopefully we can have that soon for everybody because it is awesome. Yeah, I'm interested in the oil. So excited for some of these. The new stuff we're looking at. Yeah. Get it out to you guys. I would say maybe. Well, I just want to ask, like, do you feel going to the school has basically like maybe strengthened your connection to nature when you're out uh-huh. in it? Yes, for sure. I would say it was mostly just that last class. All the building stuff. A lot of the times we had to spend. Half half of the classes we had to spend indoors just because it was so cold. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was really cold. It was my first one of the nights when we were, I was thinking in the year it got down to negative twenty something, and I was like sleeping on the floor of the yurt. Ugh. That was the coldest I've ever been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. I was. I got stationed in Alaska for three years, so. Yeah, and how cold did you get down there? Well, my coldest was negative 55. That's crazy. <laughs> and, so crazy. But I was wrapped up in enough gear, I didn't even know it was that cold. 
But I wasn't working either. I wasn't expending any energy, and I wasn't cold. So I know that gear worked really well. <laughs> uh, I wish I had that. Um, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> strengthening your connection to nature. Okay. Man. And not strengthening my memory. Um, <laughs> Take some more lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it definitely did. Like, I seriously, now, I just want to go out and hang out in nature like, all the time. Because there's so much to see there. It's mind-blowing. I can't wait to get going on this stuff. Nice. Um, okay. and, and there's a lot of benefit. I forgot. I wanted to talk about um, if you guys have heard of it. Logan, I believe, put out a little thing on it called Shinrin Yoku, and that's my attempt at really that's terrible Japanese. Um, Shinrin Yoku. Uh, that's basically translate as forest baby. So they've done a lot of studies in Japan and South Korea, and they're finding out just how healthy it is to just, like, walk in a forest. Or a lot of it's applicable to anywhere where it's really wild, but they specifically were studying forests for a lot of the studies. And just all the health benefits that come out of that and it kind of seems like that that should be common knowledge. Like, obviously, you hang out in nature and it's good for you, but it's just the actual studies they're finding out just how it benefits you by boosting your immune system, like helping you de-stress immensely. Um, you get faster recovery times from injuries and illnesses by doing this. And it's interesting. I know a lot of it has to do with just being... Uh, your system just getting hit with so many different microbes and stuff like that. So your immune system is actually going to ramp up for that stuff. So it's kind of like a little bit, you could say it's like training your immune system by actually stressing it out. It's going to get stronger, just like your muscles. Um, so, I, yeah, I got to do a lot of that. And it also slightly can start to alter your Oh, I guess it would be your brain, maybe the chemicals your brain's putting out, but it can alter your awareness of stuff. There's notice that meditation gets way better when you spend a lot of time in nature, so there's like a deep connection that gets in really improved. I would say it's definitely a, it's building your shin or your soul when you're walking out in nature especially on a regular basis. Well, maybe the reason for that is because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? That's where everyone needs to live. What? That's crazy. Oh. <laughs> that's too crazy. Oh. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Is there any last statements you would like to make? Um, I would just recommend that you really try and get out outside even, like get out to a park or something and try and get into those places where they're a little bit more wild because even, and I've been doing this, even in like these little corners of cities and stuff, there'll be, there'll be these wild places that no one goes to 
and you can just get in there, and there's a lot of life in there happening. Transition zone, always a lot of life and activity. So just try and get into those spots, even if you're in the middle of the city, or just go sit in a tree. <laughs> Enjoy sit yourself. Spot. <laughs> sit spot, exactly. So go to a sit spot for 27 minutes, right? Like I said, this has been Cloud and Zane Christopher for the Vital Way podcast. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, put down any questions you have. Um, I didn't get to cover everything because my thoughts are a little muddled. I'm a little tired. But um, if you have any questions you want to know about my experience or any of this stuff, I would be happy to answer them. So if you want to put some comments down, that would be really cool. I know a lot of uh, people are interested in this stuff. so. Yeah, and maybe Zane will throw some pictures up of some of the stuff he made. Oh, yeah. Everyone can see it. <laughs> yeah.